0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Daniel, uh, is the CEO at FullView. Daniel, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mike. Uh, Yeah, I'm really excited for, for the conversation.
0: And it's it's always a great responsibility to to bring a, a podcast host peer. So you also have your uh, your own podcast. Uh, I've, I've,
1: I've dabbled for sure in the past. I've dabbled in it. It's uh, I love the format, and I'm an avid listener of podcasts too. So I'll 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 do my best to bring some interesting insights.
0: And uh, you have an amazing experience in terms of uh, such in a short period of time, you were able to live in different countries, namely in the US, in California, also in in Berlin, Uh, you are based uh, and and from uh, Copenhagen. So you also have the experiences as VC, as operator, also as angel investor, and you, you have now your own uh, startup, FullView. Yeah. So give us a little bit, uh, an overview about your story and and who is Daniel, and, and then we will yeah. go to FullView. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm more than happy to. So yeah, yeah, I have a pretty like mixed international background. My family's from Iran originally, so they were immigrants to Europe. Ah. Uh, Germany originally and then they landed in Copenhagen and then yeah I've, um, I spent most of my life here but also lived in China when I was really young and lived have been in the US and California um, even even in Germany so I've bounced around different countries but very much settled in Copenhagen right now and uh, awesome. definitely for the long term uh, and yeah professionally basically I uh, started working in, in finance so I, uh, I studied finance too and I worked in VC that's um, kind of like my first job really um and then yeah, I was working for a fund called Futuristic. It was awesome uh, experience to work there, and they're basically investors in uh, yeah pre seed and seed stage companies across right. now more across Europe. And then uh, that's kind of where I got my first experience with uh, yeah, we working in VC. And then yeah, I always knew I wanted to start my own company. And B two B SaaS was definitely like different verticals of B two B SaaS were always quite interesting and fascinating to me. So. Um, yeah, I landed at a company called uh, 23, where I was basically working kind of like a cross-functional, go-to-market role, also owning a lot of customer relationships. Um, and then that's kind of actually where the idea for FullView was born, because then I saw how how big of a pain it is to uh, understand user issues. Um, I was part of launching new products, so I saw it from like a product angle. And then... Uh, also, the customer relationships I was owning, I saw it from an angle of trying to help out customers, uh, both in real time and async, um, and that's kind of where the idea for Fullview was was born.
0: And 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 now we are curious to know more about uh, about Fullview. What is the problem that Fullview is is solving, and uh, sure. where are you in terms of stage of growth? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Fullview, what we do in a nutshell, we basically help SaaS teams understand and fix user issues much faster and we help you basically especially for the customer support teams we work with and we help them skip all the back and forth uh, with their customers all this annoying you know time consuming things to gather context when customers reach out to you so the way we do that we essentially let um SaaS teams and support teams and also product teams visually see what is happening on the customer's ui uh, and also in the console logs, of your customer, and then we couple that together with co-browsing too, so you can basically uh, troubleshoot with customers. So we're kind of this three-in-one tool to see mm-hmm. and understand and fix user issues for SaaS companies.
0: Kind of having this developer position of uh, being doing delivering 10x better customer support experiences uh, at scale. Exactly. Really Enjoy the way you described it. And, um, and you have raised the largest, uh, ever seed rounds in the history of, of Denmark with 7.5 million, uh, dollars, uh, $7.5 million rounds. Uh, and then in terms of where are you in terms of ad counts, uh, anything else that, that you can disclose.
1: Yeah, definitely. I and mean, we were, we were lucky in terms of attracting a lot of good investors. I don't know if someone has raised an even bigger seed round since maybe, but. Nonetheless, we're lucky to uh, yeah work with uh, Lightspeed. Uh, Most people would consider them a tier one investor, and then also right. some amazing, amazing angels like uh, the founders of Unity, Leo, Dixxah, you know, execs from Coinbase, et cetera. Um, and where we are at basically, we're still very early stage uh, as a business, uh, but we move pretty fast in building an interesting product that solves like a, a very real problem in the market. Um, so, yeah, in terms of our team, we're a pretty lean team of uh, 13, uh, 13 or 14 people today, uh, probably working at the scale of, you know, two or three times the size that at, at, at least.
0: Got it. But yeah. And, and that that's definitely a, a good point also. And I see that that's a new trend that we are seeing more and more. And I'm always repeating this on the show, ultimately, which is... Being more effective with a smaller ad count mm-hmm. uh, is is definitely one trend that that we are seeing. Instead of just hiring, 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 and then needing to do exactly. layoffs to extend, uh, yeah, run away, right? And, then and that's it's, it's especially
1: yeah. relevant right now. I mean, uh, a lot of SaaS companies overhired, and you know, we all have seen the news and the headlines lately. But lean, uh, yeah. lean, lean capital efficient growth. That's the it's
0: it's always a temptation, right? So uh, there is so many things to do in an early stage startup that it's always good to, to have someone in each of the functions supporting us. But sometimes we need to have more generalists and still to play different instruments and then start to specialize a little bit later. Um, and the difficult part is where we need to spe- specialize first, right? So in terms of the structure of the team, any, any tips that you would be able to share about how you are structuring the team at this Seed stage mm. for the company. I think it's also important to to mention that you started in May of 21, so it was quite fast to to raise your um, your your seed round. You also raised the, an angel round before, right? Uh, if I'm if I'm not wrong.
1: So um, we started working full time on the business summer of 21, and then um, raised the uh, the first uh, round of funding like uh, Q4 of 21. So a couple it. months after that, yeah. And then about seed round was, yeah, pretty much right after like three months after the pre-seed,
0: 22
1: about one months. year. Yeah, exactly, Q, Q1, 22.
0: Okay, so now it's, it, it's it's been one year since you raised yes. that, that seed round, but still the first 18 months of uh, of the business, right? More or less. And in terms of what we were just discussing, in terms of the structure of the team, I think this this is great advice for the ones who are uh, through their pre-seed and seed stages, how to organize the team and how to resist the temptation of hiring too much too early. And, and then it comes to the question, okay, we have this constraint, let's try to be um, super disciplined with, with our burn rate. Where should I hire in order to not compromise growth uh, with, yes. with this decision as well, right? So th- this paradox is difficult, right? We we can't for compromise sure growth, but at the same time we don't want to over 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 hire. So that that's a difficult mm-hmm. balance.
1: It it really is a hard balance, and um, most companies will kind of have a few iterations before they get the get the initial team right. Uh, and definitely, like we're pretty heavy on engineers. That's that was the first thing for us was only Got engineers. It. Um, and I think that's probably the same for a lot of companies, but it depends on what your product is at the end of the day. There are some companies where the challenge is best on the technical side. It's maybe more on like the, maybe you're building a marketplace business uh, where <laughs> you have this, you know, chicken and egg problem. And, you know, right. that's kind of your biggest challenge on the go to market side. For us, the biggest challenge uh, from day one was always the technology because it's not an easy thing to build and also building like a three in one kind of tool from the get go. Right. That was original at the UR, still division today. Um, and then we work with a lot of big data in, uh, in, you know, processing all of these user issues that FullView is able to display for our users. Uh, so definitely really like a technical, technically heavy team that we have.
0: So, so in terms of, of funding team, two co-founders, one more from a business background, you and, and another, uh, technical co-founder or any other split?
1: yeah basically so that's really important like the technical we are we're only two two founders that's definitely nice. also a challenge in some way i think a lot of teams of course it's not we're not the first to only have two but like, i would never yeah. do this alone first of all i would never do it as a solo founder uh and i think three is like the maximum but three is probably the sweet spot as well if i'm totally honest uh but me and Doran, Doran is my co-founder and cpo in the business have a really strong dynamic together where we're we always seem to be like in sync and both of us are really like uh yeah committed to the product so uh, yeah, I'm definitely more like a commercial profile myself and, uh, my co-founder, Doran, he's more like a product guy. Uh, quite and nice. that, I think it's quite important to have that balance.
0: And would you recommend I think that this is also another question to more, to have more a CTO profile or a CPO profile. And of course the dream would be to have a kind of a CPTO, uh, profile.
1: That's the dream. If you can find a person like that, uh, if you exist. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen too many ones. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That, that that would definitely be awesome um but yeah i think that's probably the ideal uh, setup but there's no right or wrong way to do it there's right. lots of successful companies that have done it in, in different ways but nonetheless like you need at least one co-founder who is just a hundred percent focused on the product because i don't think that's a role you can really hire for in the early days uh and especially when it comes to like the user experience like the things basically that will get you to a product market fit, like how do you actually, And this should be both founders or all founders, mm-hmm. right? In, in the in the business, we should be just focused on product market fit in the beginning. So if you have one guy uh, or girl who's really focused on just being able to, you know, build beautiful user experiences, understand every little nuance of how a uh, user would interact with your product, that's super super important because I don't think that pre-series A or pre-product market fit you can go out and just hire like a product manager to do that for you.
0: Right, and, and that, that's that's a good point that you also mentioned that too, and we are seeing more and more, uh, of course, the classic is the two founders, one technical co-founder or product co-founder and another more from a, a business or even, even if it's possible, the revenue go-to-market uh, background. But if you'd have free, I'm seeing a kind of a trend also to have kind of product, technology, um, and and again business, or sometimes even a COO. Uh, so then there there are different mi- mixes for a founding team when when we have a free layer, uh, a free leg uh, founding team. Mm-hmm. When when you were saying that that maybe free would be even even better if you maybe if you'd have started again. Of course, uh, it is also about. The people that you know and the right timing and and and, uh, and we know that a lot of of, of companies fail because conflicts between founders so it's it is better to go with two that you really uh, know each other and that you trust mm-hmm. each other than than trying to add just a, for just because you feel that you will be uh, better yeah. but, but in terms of the relationship maybe uh, the risk will increase uh, because you don't know that person very well etc yeah. etc.
1: And especially if you have more, I think three is the max. Like three is a good, if you can have like uh, you know, commercial profile to be CEO, a CTO. And then perhaps mm-hmm. like you mentioned the CEO type, but who's probably in the early days also more like sales focused, That that's yeah. good. Or ideally two, I, I would say probably the best is have to have like one product, one CTO, and one commercial profile. You probably don't need more right. than one commercial profile, that's
0: but yeah. more than
1: three seems like an overkill. I don't really, to be honest, yeah, exactly. Except- I mean, there's probably successful companies, many successful companies out there with more than three co-founders, but I don't yeah. really get it to be honest with you how you can manage and, that.
0: And it's incredible how we see always different splits, and, and we get challenged in, in this uh, idea of having the technical and the uh, and the and the, com- the commercial or go to market, as you said. But anyway, let's let's get back to full view and to the category that that you that you are serving. Uh, I think this is a very important area. We uh, One of our guests in, in the past in the show has been Nick Meta, the, the CEO of, of Gainsight, also in the CS space. So we know that at this stage, retention is super important uh, in, a, in a downturn or an, a potential recessive environment that's, fortunately, it's not being confirmed uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the previous quarter and in, in this quarter. So hopefully we will not get into recession here in Europe but things in, in the US are, are quite different and we have been seeing layoffs uh, for, for the last quarters and we are seeing some beginning of it in, in Europe, but I think it's still uh, just a few first companies that, that are announcing uh, it. How do you see your category and, and the relationship with the market dynamics that we see today?
1: Definitely a good question, and I would say that even like just on the point about a recession, if we're in a recession or not, it doesn't really matter what the people like you know the technical definition of the recession because most right. customers <laughs> most most customers think that we are in a recession. That's all that really matters. The perception, the, the yeah. operator at the, at the yeah the perception matters more, right? At the end of the day, and probably in SaaS in the SaaS world, we are in a recession in our industry. Uh, so right. what what does that mean for Fullview? It means basically like we are in some ways very lucky that we are in the customer support and CS space, because obviously this is like a focus area for um, for people that want to retain their customers. And that's probably where most people are fo- starting to focus um, for the next coming 12, 18 months, however long this uh, dynamic market economics lasts. But basically uh, people have gone from switching from a view of just like, uh, you know, top of funnel growth to more like net uh, revenue retention focused. Right. So being, focused on retaining and expanding existing customers. And if you look at like, what is NRR actually, like what is the formula for net revenue retention? Mm -hmm. A key element of that is your churn. So our customer, yeah, and obviously you need to keep your customers happy. You shouldn't let them wait for ages when they write up to you on a support chat or open tickets in Zendesk. And uh, yeah, just being able to like increase your customer satisfaction by faster and more efficient customer support is an incredibly, you no know, powerful thing that you can do right now to stand out from the crowd.
0: Exactly. So kind, kind of preventing churn uh, from happening, and uh, and also uh, if churn is happening, uh, it shows that maybe the problems. There is no problem solution fit. There is no product market fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, customers are not happy with with the product. If they are not happy with the product, they will not buy more product. Let's say. Uh, yeah. In that sense, they will not expand uh, as well. So something is not working. Uh, exactly.
1: In- I mean, how many times have you written yourself, like Mike, how many times have you written to a support for something? You've been a customer of many different things in your personal or professional life. How many times have you written to support? And then it's just been such a like painful experience. And then, yes. you know, I just always. been like, this, <laughs> we'll screw <time>. this, right? <laughs> we've, we've always, we, we've all had an experience with crappy customer support and we know how it's it feels like pulling pool, yeah. teeth, right?
0: Absolutely. That, that's that's a great point. We have we have all limits. Uh, and and eventually,
1: you're like you're just gonna say, you know what? There's a million other options out there. And anyways, my boss told me that we need to cut our budget. Screw this vendor. Let's find exactly. another
0: one. Right. Exactly. So you're talking about the importance of even having a, a technical or product uh, co-founder and uh, a commercial co-founder. That it is the job of both founders in the beginning of of the company to be close to the customer and to focus on developing the best product for for the customer and to solve the pain points of uh, of, of the customer. So I know that f- we don't discuss more, and I, I like this, and that's why i invited you to discuss more how do we go from zero to one and, and from almost pre-seed to um, to A. Uh, and, and, and you are, you might be already getting close to the to the to the A round why it's so important to to be close to customers and and to and to and to be focused on the product, right? Simultaneously. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean in the early days the product is everything. And um I've also realized that the way that you lead the strategy of your business is through the product. Like you drive strategy through product. And that's why, like, you cannot outsource or delegate uh, things that relate to uh, developing your product in the early days. Of course, you need engineers. You can't, like, even if you're the greatest programmer in the world, you can't build a complex product on your own, on own. Uh, yeah. or even any, like, reliable product on your own. So you need, of course, uh, you know, developers, engineers to help you out. But in terms of, like, what the pr- customers is actually experiencing, you know, like, the customer experience, user experience with your product, that should live and come from uh, the founders, ideally both or all founders of the business. So that's something right. we've really prioritized, uh, myself and Dor-
0: Right, and, and I, I see that, that you are saying that the, the product in your case is, is a bit complex and, and usually this is appreciated because it seems there is an IP, there is some R&D, there is some proprietary um, intellectual, property repeating again, the word uh, that also makes you quite unique and it's your secret sauce. Right?
1: It's, I would say our, our product is complex behind the scenes, but for the actual use, that's the magic that's a, that, that right. we've been trying to build for the actual user, it feels very intuitive. There it is. feels like pretty simple and easy to use it as it should be. But behind the scenes, there's a huge amount of data that we're processing. Um, already millions of, uh, you know, user event uh, data points that happened uh, every month that we are processing via full view. So that's, of course, a lot of complexity that we need to um, we need to be able to handle.
0: Right. Any? I know this is a very open question, so I, I will let you go in in any direction that that you'd like. But uh, again, focusing on this zero to one or from zero to 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 post seed stage pre series A. Uh, what would, would you um, like to highlight from lessons learned during this uh, 18 months, let's, let's say almost 24 in May uh, of 23, right?
1: Oh, that is a tough question, but
0: I would say some of the,
1: yeah, one of the most important lessons we've learned is again about like, just focus hundred percent on the product and that's the highest uh, leverage thing that you can do as a entrepreneur that to just focus on like, especially as a software entrepreneur, as a tech founder, like focus on your product and then figure out like the go-to-market side of it as you build the product, but don't put the cart before the horse. Um, and like, oh, what is it saying to don't, yeah, did I say that right? Put the
0: cart before the horse or yeah the other way around, but... But, but I got to what you meant anyway. <laughs> you <know what> <laughs> <laughs> so I, am very intuitive, so I, I, I don't need to kind of go to this, the specific word. Uh, I was following your, your thought process. Yeah. Okay.
1: But yeah, make sure that you do, you know, step-by-step step and like, of course, like you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, like, uh, grow at a reasonable pace. Don't grow too fast. Like there's probably so many companies that started in, you know, our cohort definitely did that. Um, of course we're not, uh, completely innocent of those mistakes, but, Um, I think we've been able to course correct really fast and that's probably one of the greatest lessons that we've we've learned to be able to like uh, don't cry over spilled milk if that makes sense just course correct and then and then do what you got to do right
0: and I think this this is always one of the main reflections that any founder is right so that's this mix of product and and go to market so if you have an amazing product, but if the customers don't want that product, it will not work. If you have the customer super interested, but the product sucks, it will not work. So so you, mm-hmm. you need you need really the to be to have the product quite close to, to the customer, but also. If you mm-hmm. ask to the customers what they want, probably uh, you will also develop the, the wrong product. So it's always yeah, complex yes. to- Yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. The yeah, You, you also, of the,
1: the process. Exactly. You, also, you, you can't just like bury yourself in, in like a dark room and then like just code all day and then come out and say to the world, here's the product, please use it. Because then you might <laughs> you might build the wrong thing, right? That's the biggest, that's a huge risk to build the yeah. wrong thing. But that's why you kind of need this uh, in parallel to like, you know, build, give to the customers, go back and build and then have this like iterated approach to to building your product and then building the business at the same time as the product.
0: Right. It, it makes me think of, uh, I don't remember the the sentence from Y Combinator, right? So build what users want, but it, it makes me add, but don't build what users tell you that they yeah. want <laughs> so okay. also true also true
1: yeah that's so true like uh, it's, there's so many conversations where people say oh, i want this feature i want this feature and then like you dig a little bit deeper and you realize that okay that's not really what they want or like the problem like it's your job it's a problem to understand right? it's it's your job to understand the problem and then come up with a solution but right. it's not your job to just build the solution. Otherwise, you would just be like, uh, just start a you know consulting business, software development, right. consulting business. If you're just going to take orders from from exactly what customers tell you to build, because you're also going to end up building something that maybe only one customer wants, but the market at at large doesn't want. So that's obviously a big risk.
0: And and why there is a lot of a source of frustration in the consulting industry because sometimes you know that this is not what the customer wants. And you still need to develop and, and get to the conclusion that we might need to change the project.
1: Yeah, actually, my co-founder, Doran he comes from that world. He had a product studio in the past where he built, like, custom software for uh, for clients. And then, so I think he has some scars from that, but he's lear- <laughs> learned some lessons the hard way.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a certain way in my, in my work that is not so much... For consulting, much more advisory and coaching. Uh, sometimes I even see it myself. I've seen the movie before. This will not end, end well. Fortunately, today I have the luxury to say, look, I'm not in, in this direction. I respect your decision because that's your company, but I'm out because I, I can't yeah. commit to, to help you go in the direction of something that I know uh, in general, uh, in your case, it might be different. I, I'm I'm not the the owner of the mm-hmm. truth, right? But uh, but I I can't commit to go in, in that in that direction because I will not feel well with exactly. my uh, with my mind. Right?
1: Exactly.
0: Good point. Cool. And let's go into into to the fundraising. You have mentioned before that uh, that you were able to attract amazing uh, founders from Unity, Playo, Coinbase, Instana. Uh, from Playo, very well known in in Denmark and globally, Yep uh, Rindom, um, the founder and, and and CEO. But I think that's this is kind of the dream of any founder that is starting a company to be able to attract uh, tier one uh, founders who can support them and also who are related to to the category that they are building because it will create credibility and also a tier, tier one VC like you did with with Lightspeed uh, ventures um as well. Mm-hmm. So any any lessons learned uh and I and again we know the the numbers that that you have raised as as well. Uh,
1: sure. Um- yeah definitely like i I always wanted to build kind of like a um, oh yeah like i wanted to build kind of like a tribe around us like trusted advisors that would uh but also be investors so they had like you know they put some skin in in the game too so it's not just uh, advisors but then um and especially like different categories that i knew that we could use a lot of help with or just have we've done something comparable to what we're trying to do so relevant people as well um, and definitely, like the guys from Instana have been super, super helpful for us. Like uh, Fabian Lange, he's one of the co founders of Instana. And Instana is like a, a yeah, monitoring observability platform. Uh, so they had built like on a similar, it's not relevant to like our product uh, directly, but uh, they built a similar tech, tech stack from um, from what we had, Yeah, from what we ended up now using. So, like, he, yeah, he was able to get into the grains and the really minute details. He's part of our Slack and like he talks directly to our team. So like having an angel investor who's also like a close advisor like that, uh, that's like a game changer for sure. And then there's definitely other people like um Gloria Bar- Barline. She was part of, uh, she was CEO at the company called Back. Part of, she was part of Index Ventures before that. She's been awesome in helping us with like operations, figuring out like uh data privacy gdpr security things things like this as well so having these people who yeah who, who've been through this journey before that's that means a lot
0: and sometimes we we tell founders that you need to go through a structured process if possible convince first the founders and then go to the vcs start with the with the vc that is not in your dream list especially the, the vc that you don't want to start training your pitch and improving your pitch but yeah. then we know that the process is so overwhelming, is so emotionally intense, it creates so sure. much anxiety, and it's so difficult to coordinate meetings to all happen at, at the same timing that this is mm-hmm. almost impossible to happen. So in theory, it's it sounds amazing but in practice it is another uh another story what has been your experience what would you suggest to other founders that are now um in in fundraising should they go first for the angels and then for the vcs should they do it simultaneously any tips that have worked for you it's it's all about your experience and we uh, know that uh, everything
1: Yeah I, I, I would still uh like talk to the angels first um they're like in some way less biased of course they're still less biased in the sense that like they're kind of like they don't necessarily have like ownership percentages that they're trying to reach and they're not like you know they can kind of be like a more like unbiased uh, sparring partner too in in many ways especially if they're former entrepreneurs too so I would definitely start there but that's definitely what we did and I would still recommend that today in in today's market and then you could use them as kind of like get them to commit and then they can help you build up around uh, they can help you get you you know warm introductions in front of the right uh, institutional investors to then lead around and then top it off with uh, those same angels. So I would do it that way.. Right.
0: and and in your case, we, we know that we have founders that may, might be in fundraising for six, seven, eight, uh, and in some cases even nine months, and they, those are the re, the really resistant uh, ones, but there are others that are able to almost. Because maybe they started the networking and the relationships before to almost close it in one two months or uh, or three uh, maximum. So what has been your experience especially in the early stage uh, funding round
1: uh, in terms of you mean like how fast you can the, the close length, it? Yes
0: since we you started until you you close it oh. uh, the process. For us we were, we were lucky
1: that we were able to do it within like two to three weeks. Um, Amazing. but that's, that's, that's probably not a good data point. And this is also yes. a different, uh, and to be fair, like this is also a different market climate than, than today. So I'm not sure how, like how much that would apply in today's market. I think today is definitely you're talking more in, in months and not weeks. Um,
0: yeah. Makes, makes sense. Any, any other. Uh, thoughts that comes to to your mind in terms of uh, the fundraising process that you that you followed uh, given the results that's that you have achieved
1: yeah i mean i think it definitely makes sense to find like an investor who is like aligned with your way that you wanna build a company, but that's also like a um, position of privilege to be able to like pick your investors. Sometimes you just need to fund, like at the end of the day, you need to just fund your business and then move on with your day and then get back to building. That's like at the end of the day what it's about, right? Um, But if you have the options, definitely try to pick someone who is like, uh, you can spend a little bit more time with them if you're able to do so, to like, you know, suss out anything that might not be aligned with your values or the way you wanna build your company. And obviously you can do like a lot of references on them as well. But yeah. like pick your own references. Maybe don't don't necessarily listen to the ref like every VC will tell you, hey, like go talk to this founder. Of course, they'll tell you to go talk to the most successful founder in their portfolio who's had the best experience right. working with them. Go find the, the ones who you know didn't work out, maybe, and then yeah. see what they have to say. And then you'll probably hear like a more holistic picture.
0: That's that's a that's definitely uh a, a, a good one. And um to... Before going into into a, a topic that I'm super curious to approach, which is also your angel uh, activity, um, I would just conclude about, I understood that in terms of your ICP, we are talking about SaaS businesses. That's why you said even if the if, if the world is not officially in a recession, we are seeing what is happening in SaaS. So uh, the perception at least is that there is a recession. Yeah. So people are more... Afraid to make investment or um, uh, procurement decisions. So, in in that sense, what is your ICP in terms of geographical expansion? Where are you landing? Any any particular SaaS um, stage of uh, stage of growth of for the SaaS companies that you target? Mm-hmm.
1: So we don't have like a geographical restriction, uh, because it's pretty straightforward SAS. Well, what we do, the only restriction on geography is time zones for meetings. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, we focus on B2B SAS companies in the mid-market range. So we define that as anywhere from a hundred to a thousand employees plus minus give, give or take, that's kind of our sweet spot. Um, we have some that are slightly bigger than, than that, but. Um, yeah, definitely. That's kind of like the mid market that I would define and probably they will you know, change in the future if we, we might uh, go up market, like most other that SaaS companies eventually do, but that's the sweet spot for for us right now. And that's like when your customer support team starts to, you know, you start to feel a lot of these pains and uh, of, like trying to do more with uh, a lower headcount, especially these days.
0: Yeah. So in, in other words, are are you saying that in, in your perspective, given that it's a very specific category and a very specific target, it doesn't make too much sense? And, and those are, by definition, international and global uh, companies, yes. maybe to to go geography by geography to um, to focus on, on specific countries. And, and the majority of those also speak English, so even if mm-hmm. they are not based in in English-speaking countries, let's say. Yeah, we, we 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 never
1: took any geographical like approach. Like I think yes. it's a great idea if like you're for example a fintech company. I know a lot of them do that for also, you know, there's different regulations in different countries. That's like it there are pros and cons in some way because like on one way, if you can for example, like Clio, I know like they started just in Denmark, right? Because like also regulations and etc. Yeah. So that's nice that you can kind of focus on your home turf, especially if you're a European company, focus on your home turf or you like you can sell to your own network and all that and then go market by market in a really focused way, uh, on our side, it's like, it doesn't make sense, especially to focus in, in Denmark. It's almost a non-existent market for us. There's like, of course there's great B2B SaaS companies here, but none are very limited in like the yeah, um, commercially SaaS. relevant ones for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so we just kind of go glo- went global from day one. So we have customers in U uh, S Europe, Australia.
0: Got it. Okay, kind yeah. of the Europe East Coast, and and then uh, of course the Australia, New Zealand, and mm-hmm. uh, when when the and also the West Coast, it's still a eight hour to nine hour nine hour from Denmark, but uh, yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah exactly time but time we time so time. far we, we've managed quite well to like also like deliver our own s- customer support and i mean to be honest with you most founders you know like ourselves we work like uh you know long hours anyway so it doesn't <laughs> make that that much of a difference if something comes in at right. 10 p.m but of right. course in the future we would probably have you know international uh, sales and support reps makes makes
0: a lot of sense and, and now before going to the last segment of, of the show, um, just a, a quick thought about uh, about your activity uh, as angel. Typically, we had angels in the past year on the show. Uh, they start investing typically post Series A, Series B, Series C, or even after exiting the companies. But we are seeing more and more operators starting much earlier to invest, which, which shows also the democratization of the angel markets. And I think it's also great for, for founders to have a larger pool of, of angels to, to support them. So I think that's an amazing trend. And I think it was it would be inspiring for others that are now operators, that's early stage companies that could also become angels. And maybe they are not thinking about that option. They think it's too early for me to become an angel. And maybe it isn't. Uh, and, and 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 you can share your experience on that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I... Did my first angel investment uh maybe five years ago something like that four and a half years ago i guess um and basically like so i was already kind of like into like i was working at a vc fund back then so i kind of had like the exposure to like companies so i was liking that sense but then I, I didn't have millions of dollars in my bank account that i could risk and then eventually i just decided hey man this is like you're missing out on a lot of uh interesting action here and then by the time i was working at, uh, in operations uh I would just like, I had like friends who were just starting businesses and I uh, just figured why not just like write really small checks, whatever. Like at the time it was like 5k was like the maximum that I could write back then. And then um, actually I had put like almost all my savings into uh different, different angel investments back then. And then some of them, had, had, some of them failed and obviously, but some of them, uh, one or two of them had paid off like really well. I'm happy I did that. Uh, and I would definitely recommend more people to do that because I've, most importantly, probably is that I built a really strong network around that, uh, and then I was able to use that to like, um, you know, find people that could help me with my own company. And then, you know, whether there was investors that I met through uh, having invested in small checks in other companies, I met plenty of Fullview's current investors through that. Actually, um, and then also customers. We have like angel investments I made, and then build a relationship with the founders, who then actually ended up being like customers of Fullview, ironically. Uh, Wow. And then vice versa, I became customers of them, and kind of build like an ecosystem around or like a network around myself that way.
0: Yeah. And when I'm asking this, uh, it's also important that you have it publicly on on your LinkedIn. So for people if they want to visit your LinkedIn, at Daniel Back. Um, just search CEO and founder of Fullview. You have personally backed more than forty uh, startups to to date. Uh, directly or with angel um, syndicates. So, uh, so what what you are saying is is really. And would you suggest for the ones who are thinking about it, that maybe they are thinking I need to have maybe an emergency fund, and then there is a discussion should the emergency emergency fund, uh, sorry about the pronunciation, uh, be lasting for four months or six months or twelve months? It will depend from from a profile to to another um it, it seems that and maybe it also depends on on the on where you are in your life if you already have a family kids or the responsibilities mm-hmm. or not i think that if you start very early you can risk much more uh in that sense so maybe exactly you, you can be much scrappier and you can invest the, almost the majority of your your savings and not not have even a, a substantive Im- emergency uh fund mm-hmm. right
1: yeah, exactly. And that that's, of course, it's it like a, it is in some way like a position of privilege that to be able to put like all your savings into like a highly illiquid and high risk asset. Right, um, but if you're if you're young and you can like you don't have like kids in a family that rely on you yet, and then why not? Like, why wouldn't you do that? Right. You might as well take some risk and, and then hopefully one of them will pay off a lot. If not, it's like basically think of it as paying for an MBA. Right, it's probably exactly. way more. It's probably way more valuable than an actual MBA. Exactly. Like, so instead of going to pay for some uh, expensive like graduate degree, why not make some angel investment and then you will probably learn way more. Especially if you have like an entrepreneurial appetite.
0: Absolutely, the the amount you learn, and you also start training a very important skill that will also help you as a business uh, founder and then and operator which is investment, right? At a certain point, you will be able, fortunately, to accumulate a certain amount of of money and you you would need to know how to invest that amount of money. And and now you have another asset class that you start uh, understanding. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the good news is that the majority of the ones who are thinking about investing in VC don't have uh, exposure to VC, don't understand uh, the the SaaS world, don't Mm -hmm. have the network. And and you understand it so uh, I even yeah. feel it myself that I if I would have invested much more time those uh, small shakes because I knew much more about the founders uh, I would be in a much better position than 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 selling uh, services right? exactly so that that's definitely I I, lo- I love the MBA because n- normally we talk about start a company instead of doing an mba which is a great advice in my opinion because it will become your mba but also investing might be even a less risky activity than starting a, a company and can also prepare you to after becoming an angel to start your own company with the exposure about what you are seeing and in that position you will not also like to position yourself as the as the as the angel that knows everything but you are, are only learning from the founder and supporting as much uh, as exactly. You can,
1: right? exactly like and if you work in this in a, like for example if you work as a sales rep in a uh, relatively successful b2b saas company and then you just ask like a early stage founder hey can i invest 5k into your uh into your company and, and i'll help you with sales i'll just tell you everything i know about sales and then maybe that is great like m- most of the time they they'll probably say yes if you're like of course if, if you have a prior relationship that helps but Uh, You don't have to be like a big hotshot to to get started.
0: Love it. That's great. And let's go to the last segment of the show uh, Mm -hmm. where we go here, kind of a ping pong of quick question and answer. So if you'd have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself, I know it was not a long time ago, but almost two years ago, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger Daniel?
1: uh i would probably say an even younger daniel <laughs> i would i would say uh probably like take more risks actually like i think i always had like we just talked about like the uh, making these angel investments now and i was always had like an entrepreneurial appetite for risk but i think there's mm-hmm. also some some areas where like i played it too safe like i think actually i waited too long to start my own business when i think i was ready for it and had the opportunity to do it maybe like a year prior to i actually did so um or maybe even way before that, actually, like when and then I maybe thought that oh I needed to like you know get a bit more like job experience first and like you know work in in, in, in businesses, established businesses before and I'm definitely happy I did that. It's not like I regret it, but I think I could have
0: started this earlier and just taken more risk. Love it. And we can see in, in in your story that you you have tried to expose yourself to a lot of For sure. realities. Different sides of the table, which is I think it's it's it is also available to you. You also have much more proficiency yeah. today to do what you do, right? What are you the most proud of on your journey so far?
1: Oh, that's hard to say, but I would say probably like retaining like really strong like friendship outside outside of work. I think that that was like one of the best things I did for for myself and like um just being able to have like more balance because like being a um, startup founder can be extremely taxing sometimes on like your kind of mental state. It There's a lot of ups and downs. Like I wouldn't do, I wouldn't trade it for the world just to be clear, uh, but there's definitely like crazy ups and downs that you have to deal with. And that can be like, sometimes you're, it's hard not to get like emotionally attached to the ups and downs of your business, but having like a strong group of like friends outside of your work that have nothing to do with your work. I think that helps ground you a lot. Uh, and then you can just kind of turn off and, and feel more balanced, which will also make you more productive at, uh, in your business.
0: That is something so I'm proud that I was that, able to do that. Yeah. Well, done. That that's something related about what we have been discussing here a lot is uh, try to consume less content about startups when, when you are outside or when you are trying to yes. have free time. Because I think that and then I'm talking against myself every single minute that I could find I was reading something on Twitter or LinkedIn mm-hmm. or any blog post or the last report that came out or the new South napkin from Point 0.9 or whatever it is, <laughs> always <laughs> obsessed about knowing more and more and more and more. And, more. And, and then you you have this anxiety and feel of overwhelming and, and potential burnout and depression and so on. So uh, I think it's, it's really important to advise founders to, it is not expected to be always on, and it is not uh, healthy mm-hmm. at all to be always on, right?
1: Yeah, but but to be clear, you're like don't expect to have a regular nine to five schedule. Exactly, that, that, at the that, same that's time. unrealistic. <laughs> but, yeah, that's unrealistic. But like, don't spend you know every Saturday and Sunday uh, working exactly. your hands off. To like you know take some time off and like hang out with your friends, with your family, with exactly. your partner, whatever.
0: Worst advice ever received.
1: Worst advice I ever received. I think I have to go back to like the kind of financial things, personal finance topic. So um, I remember there was a former boss who told me, uh, was trying to give me like advice on like on my career and told me like, hey, don't focus when you're in the early stages of your career, don't focus too much on the money. Um, Don't worry about making money. You can make a lot of money later on. And I understood where he was coming from, but I thought that, and I still think that's terrible advice because if you can focus on making a lot of money when you're really young, it'll make your, the rest of your life a lot easier. Yeah. And then it'll set you up to be able to take more and more risks over time uh, and have a greater return on that risk hopefully. But if you just, of course, with that said, as a caveat, like don't do something that makes a lot of money, but you're miserable doing it. Obviously that's right. not worth it either, but find a balance where like, actually do focus on like, of course, do what you wanna do, but focus on making as much money as you can while you're young. And then it will make you know the latter stages of your um of your life a lot easier
0: absolutely because that, that's also the the period of your time where you can save and invest uh, the most when when you exactly. start having another commitment then it's not the best time to to start you already want to have the practice and also the practice rights that a lot of people we know we are seeing a lot of startups in that field of investment democratization investment skills personal finance skills. Uh, it takes some time to learn, and we need to, again, as in business, to make a lot of mistakes as investors to 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 start understanding how to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Favorite book, business or non-business? This is about getting to know you. Yeah.
1: Um, so the most memorable book and probably the best one too. It's called The Clock of the Long Now, um, and basically it's about like so. It's about a real project where these people, they built like this clock that was supposed to last for like, uh, I think it was 10,000 years or something, but it was kind of a metaphor. It's a real project that you can go, you can look it up. Uh, but the whole point of the book is about like long-term thinking and how you can like, you know, uh, become more long-term oriented yourself and the kind of compounding uh, impact that you can enjoy if you are able to think more long-term.
0: Awesome. Favorite movie or series?
1: Oh, I would say uh, I love watching Netflix shows, so it's hard to say that. But I would say my favorite movie—it's a documentary called uh, "The Smartest Guys in the Room." It's about the Enron scandal. Uh, and I thought that was anything that relates, like uh, these like high-profile scandals like Enron and like FTX, more recently, I think that's always interesting to study uh, how these people are, can be so crazy and, and do do the things they they do. Part of it is probably like the drama. I just enjoy the you know dramatic aspect. Got
0: it. And finally the favorite, your favorite podcast, excluding this one and yours. <laughs>
1: so yeah, excluding, uh, these two, uh, I would say actually something, I also try to sometimes like consume non-startup, uh, right. podcasts. So there's uh, one called flagrant. It's a, it's like a comedian named Andrew Schultz. It's just a funny, it's just like basically him and his friends, uh, talking crap and just like, you know, making jokes. So I, I really like that. It's not really about anything to be honest with you. So I'm not sure if I'm selling it that well, but if you wanna have a good laugh and just like turn off your brain while you're at the gym or something like that, listen to flagrant.
0: Love it. I will try it out. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, you are always welcome to come back to share the next chapters of, of your journey.
1: I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best to help you scale your business. See you soon and keep scaling.